to be back here this week. We are still working through James, and this will conclude the portion of James in which we've been speaking about faith. So if you were here last week or if you listened to the podcast last week, you remember we discussed what James actually meant by faith without works is dead. We discussed what he meant by faith without works is dead. If you remember, we said that strong faith in God should produce in us good works for God. We talked about how oftentimes we hear faith without works is dead, that that means that you just have to put enough faith with the works that you do and put enough works with the faith that you have, and God will do anything you need him to do. But that is not just a poor interpretation of that scripture, but a bad use of of what faith is. While it may be a good principle for you to apply good works to your faith, remember that is not what that text means. So today, as we move even further into our text in James, we want to see where things get quite confusing for a lot of believers. Um, And I want you to see that if you don't have the right context, if you don't have the right interpretation of what scripture says, it will cause you to have a belief about God or a belief that is being said in this scripture that seems contradictory. But hopefully my prayer is today is that as we work through these scriptures that I will be able to offer you clarity and understanding to the text. And that's why the title today is How Then Are We Justified? How then are we justified? Go with us, and I pray that you bring your Bibles to church. If you have your Bibles, go with us to James 2 and 20. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled saying, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness, and that he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way, was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. Now, if you have been here any any amount of weeks, you have heard me quite often say that there is no work that you contribute to your salvation, that your salvation is not based on merit, but it is merely based on the grace of God and that we are justified not by anything we do, but we are justified by faith alone. Now, you look at this scripture, you say, well, wait a minute. That's not what James is saying here in If you just look at the scripture blindly without the proper context, without the proper interpretation, it would appear at first glance that James is telling us that we are justified by works. In fact, the scripture says that we are justified by works and not by faith alone. Now, if this is the case, if this is what James is indeed saying, not only do we have to rethink our entire theology as Christians, 
But we then have to throw away every epistle written by Paul because that would make him then a heretic. But the importance is that you get the context right. Now, if you come to this church quite often, you hear the word context all the time. I stress context and you're going to say, what's the importance of context? But let me tell you the importance. In America, we have the right to bear arms. All right. You understand that contextually. How do I know that? Who has a pair of bare arms hanging up in their house? Nobody. Because you understand, though we don't speak necessarily in those terms, we understand that in its proper context. What about you have the right to remain silent? Who in here has taken a vow of silence because of that right? No one. Because you understand that in its proper context. So if we understand just laws in its proper context, we must understand everything that the Bible says, not just based on face value, but we must place every line that is written in the Bible in its proper context, not proof text. Proof text is when I have a point that I want the Bible to validate. Context is the, va- the Bible is throwing out and assessing and telling me every biblical belief I should have. So we must understand the Bible in context. So that brings us to our first point today, and we're hitting it quite early. Was not Abraham our father justified by works? Our first point today is a question. Was not our father Abraham justified by works? Now, I have used the word justified or I've used the term justification quite often in our church. And I've defined Paul's usage of justified or justification, which is to be declared righteous or have the righteousness of God imputed to you because of your sin. Where do we get that from? We get that from Romans 3.28. Paul writes this. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. So you can see right off the bat, we have the same language being used here between James and between Paul. But it doesn't mean that they should be understood in the same context. Let me tell you this story. David Platt tells a story in his commentary on James. And he says when he was doing some mission work, he had some friends that asked him if he wanted to play football. And he said, well, you know, I'm from the South. I'm an avid football lover. I love college football and I played some flag football in my day. So he was like, yeah, I'm in. I'll play some football. He immediately knew something was wrong when he walked out onto the field and he saw two nets. Instead of gold posts. And he saw a black and white ball instead of an oblong shaped brown football. He immediately realized that though they were using the same language, they were talking about two totally different things. It's important for us to see that even though Paul and James are using some of the same language, they are making two very distinct points. Both of which are very important for us as Christians. 
As Paul was writing to the Roman church, he wanted the understanding to be clear that the source of their righteousness, the source of their justification was not from their own merit, but it was from God alone. And in that church, as many of the churches that Paul was involved with, they had these former Jews who wanted to believe that their righteousness came from their obedience to the law. Now, That was a misinterpretation of the law. That was a misinterpretation that the Pharisees had that it would be their perfect obedience to the law that would give them perfect righteousness. But Jesus said, unless you have perfect righteousness, there is no perfect obedience. And the only way you would have perfect righteousness is that the righteousness of God himself through Jesus Christ would be imputed to you the same way that your sin guilt was imputed to you. That's what he's telling them. So he's fighting a totally different battle. Now, if we go down further in chapter 4, we can see Paul and James seemingly saying the same thing. James says... Was not our father Abraham justified by works? You look at Romans 4 and 1. What does Paul say? What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. See, Not only do we have to have enough information about the Bible to fight anybody who would tell us that there are contradictions, but in order for you to have a good faith in God, we have to understand what the Bible actually means. Because what will happen is if we do not have a proper understanding of our biblical text, there are some people who will convince you that they do. And they will bring you to these two scriptures and see, let me show you the contradictions. And they're going to ask you to explain it. And unless you are biblically literate, you will be unable to. I think that's one of the greatest offenses of many of our churches is that we're training people to be good disciples of the preacher, but not training people to be biblically literate. And because of that, there is nothing they can stand on to defend their faith because if the pastor didn't say it, they don't know it. And so my hope is that you don't just hear what I say and think I should take it at face value, but that you would do as the the scribes would do and search the scripture for yourself. And make sure that what I'm saying is actually in there. So Paul is combating the idea that you have to have your own independent righteousness from God in order to gain interest into heaven. See, while your works may bring vindication to man, which means while your works may be evidence to the other Christians in the body of Christ of the salvation that you proclaim, please be clear. There is nothing about your works that will bring you vindication or bring you justification in the eyes of God. All right. There is one way to be seen as righteous through in the eyes of God. And that is through his son, Jesus Christ. That is believing that Jesus Christ died on the cross. That is accepting that fact, making him not just your savior, but the Lord of your life as well. And giving him the right to your life and submitting yourself totally as a slave 
to the righteousness of Jesus Christ. That's what being a Christian is. And then when you have done that, because he has declared you righteous, he will save you unto good works. He will save you unto good behaviors. He will save you unto good disciplines as a Christian. Now, where many of us get it wrong is that we try to do all the works apart from the saving faith. And it brings us seemingly vindication in the eyes of all of us because we lack the authority that God has to be able to issue a verdict on your life. So while you may have the vindication of the people you go to church with, there is nothing about those works that will justify you in the eyes of God. It's a very important point. Now, if only Jesus Christ can justify us, Paul is saying again that your salvation, any salvation that you have, even saving faith that you have is a product of the grace of God. Your salvation is a gift from God that he freely gives to you. A lot of people who worry, worry whether or not they're elect. And say, well, I don't know if I'm the elect. Well, are you in Christ? Well, I don't know. Then you're not elect. That's easy. See, we, need, we worry about whether or not I'm saved, whether or not I'm in the faith. But if you're not in Christ, you can't be in the faith. That's right. That's, right. And that's where we get it confused. Now, Paul is saying again, because of the grace of God, through the faith of Abraham, Abraham was justified. Abraham was justified by his faith. Now, James picks up right there and says that because he was justified before God, his works justified his faith before men. You get that? It was the faith that justified him. That's why the Bible says it was counted to him as righteousness. So God justified him through his faith. But it was the works that justified him in our eyes. We have to be able to understand these distinct differences. See, Abraham was proven or vindicated in the eyes of man and the testimony of his works affirms what God had already said about him. Why does Abraham still have the testimony as being the father of faith is because though he made several mistakes along his faith journey, when God justified him because of his faith, he justified him. And there was nothing he could do that would cause God to renege on that justification. So in the same way that God has justified us who believe in his son, Jesus Christ, there is nothing that you can do that will make God renege on that justification. I said every other week, there is nothing temporary about eternal life. Now, instead of seeing these two Views in opposition of one another, 
we should really see them as a continuation of one another. James is a continuation of what Paul is saying. How do we know that? Because James tells us that. He says, was not our father, our father Abraham justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? Watch this. You see that faith was active along with his works. And faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believes God and it was counted to him as righteousness. He said it so that you aren't confused. You see that faith was active along with his works. It was not works alone. It was not works alone. In fact, in case you're missing it, it was the faith that precipitated the works. There would be no works that were worth anything if there hadn't been faith that precipitated the works that we see he performed. But he was justified by works according to God or was he justified by faith? James answers this the same way Paul does. He says, James says that Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. What works does it say Abraham had to do in order to be seen as righteous before God? None. There was nothing he did to obtain righteousness from God. The faith that God graced him to have is the faith that brought justification in the eyes of God. Let's look down at Romans 4, 9. Is this blessing then only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? For we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. You see, there is not a single letter of confusion between James and Paul here. They are absolutely in lockstep with one another, and there is no contention among the two. Let me explain it to you this way. I want to make sure you have clarity. You can go to school. You can get a Juris Doctor, but that does not make you a lawyer. All right? You just have the paperwork. You are not justified as a lawyer until the bar approves you at saying not only have you gone to school, but you have met the qualifications to practice law. So you have been justified by the bar, but you ain't justified in my eyes until you win a case. You get it? The bar gave you the justification that you need in order to practice law. But I can't be a testimony of how good of a lawyer you are until I see some works that come from the justification you got from the bar. The justification you received as a Christian validates and vindicates you in the eyes of God. But the works that I see that come from your life validate your walk to me as as a believer. So you cannot possibly be a lazy believer who is not producing works that are a product of the faith you claim to have. That is it. I could try to make this more complex, but I really can't. The Bible is telling us this. So when you see what James is saying... More importantly, 
when you see that he and Paul agree that it was faith and his belief in God that caused God to count Abraham as righteousness. It doesn't mean that Abraham was righteous. You got to understand in order to be counted as righteousness. What did you have to be before that? Unrighteous, ungodly. Just in case you don't realize this, who does God justify? The godly? No, that's not what scripture says. Scripture says that he justifies the ungodly. I like the way Charles Spurgeon put it. He said a sinner is a sacred thing because God has made him so. The one requirement for you to be declared righteous is that you are unrighteous. The only reason you would have to be declared righteous is that you were unrighteous. If there is anybody in here who does not need to be declared righteous, congratulations. You're exactly who Jesus said he didn't come to save. See, when Jesus said, I didn't come for the well, I came for the sick because the well don't need a physician. He's not saying that anybody was actually well, but there are a bunch of people who think they are. I didn't come for the self-righteous. I came for the people who knew their only chance of righteousness was through me. Now, when we see that they are in lockstep, and we see that God calls us to count it, that he calls Abraham to be seen and counted as righteousness. Again, it doesn't mean that he was righteous. It doesn't mean that he had any righteous works, but God counted him as righteous. It then goes on to say, you see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way, was not also Rahab the prostitute? Justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith from works, apart from works, is dead. And that brings us to our our next point. All our points are questions today. To whom is justification due? To whom is justification due? When James says that Rahab was justified by her works, was that justification due to God? It was not. How do we know that that wasn't due to God? Paul said that we are justified apart from works. And that means there is nothing you can do to prove yourself to God. There is nothing you can do that God doesn't already know is either in your heart or isn't in your heart. So even though you may try to do all the works, even though you may try to do all the disciplines apart from saving faith. Those works are just as dead as the faith. See. It wasn't. The works that justified her in the eyes of God because the only way, just in case you don't know about Rahab, Rahab had other gods. She was worshiping other gods. And in the moment they came in, she had known about who their God was. And in the moment that she was willing to risk her life, she had already been justified by her faith. Because there is no way a fake believer would ever sacrifice their livelihood. And their lives for anything that they don't actually believe. 
It's one of the things that validates us in knowing that every person that walked with Jesus Christ, apart from John, what happened to them? They were killed. They were martyred. Those same people had the testimony that they saw Jesus Christ rise from the dead. Now, no one dies for a lie. People may die believing in a lie, but nobody dies knowing that a lie is a lie. So if their testimony was in fact that they saw Jesus Christ raised from the dead and that they were willing to be beheaded, to be crucified, to be killed in all sorts of ways. What does that do to me? It vindicates that their testimony is in fact what it really was. They had already received their justification in the eyes of God, but it brings me a whole lot of joy knowing that if they claim they saw what they saw, they were willing to go to the grave defending what they said they saw. That testimony helps us even today. Now, Paul said that we are justified apart from works. That means there's nothing we can do to prove ourselves. We don't justify ourselves to him. He justifies us. He declares us righteous. And what we do after that he declares us righteous is what validates us in the eyes of everybody else. Now, when these spies come into the home of Rahab, let's be honest, as she welcomed them in, they needed some type of justification that she was really believing in the God that she claimed to now believe in. Because she was at the point where if they went in there and she was just trying to trick them, there is no way in the world they would have been able to get out alive. So what justified her faith to them? The fact that she she was willing to risk her life to protect them justified her works, justified her faith in their eyes through her works. That's what it did. We do not see the whole picture as believers, no matter how spiritual we think we are. But it is one thing that we can look at in the lives of other believers is if they are claiming to have the faith that they claim to have, if they receive their justification from God, they will in no ways be too shy to display their faith and display the good works that they have in the eyes of other Christians. Now, just in case you don't understand, Paul's testimony is one of the greatest testimonies that we have. But Paul was not just a non-believer. Paul was killing Christians. If you read in Galatians and 2 Corinthians, Paul is having to defend his ministry. He's having to defend who he is. Why is he having to do that? Because there were people on both sides who said, we don't believe Paul. All right? There were people who had been, who were Christians who were like, This guy has murdered Christians. I don't trust him. There were people who were Jews who said he was with us a few weeks ago and now he's claiming to be a Christian. And so when you read 2 Corinthians, Paul goes on a rant defending himself and defending his ministry. But remember, because we've read it, 
He didn't defend himself by the great things he did. He defended himself by saying how much he had suffered for the gospel. He said, there is no false Christian who can have the works that I have that have been beaten, that have been stoned, that have been shipwrecked, that have been in despair everywhere I've been. And you're still questioning whether or not I'm a Christian. See, the works that he had and the suffering that he went through should have justified him in the eyes of the people who were calling him a counterfeit. Because no fake Christian would have endured what he endured. Now, unless you have a right relationship with Jesus Christ, there will be nothing in you that precipitates any good works. Okay? Now, What you may define as good can be good if faith doesn't precipitate it. Does that make sense? Our definition of righteousness, our definition of good cannot have any merit in the eyes of God if it comes apart from saving faith. That's why the Bible says, let your lights so shine before men that they will do what? See your good works, but that they will glorify your Father which is in heaven. The reason why Christians must have good, discernible works is because it glorifies God, it gives the testimony to believers and non-believers about the faith we have and it should direct them to saving faith in Christ. If you are claiming to be a Christian and it is in secret, that's why I can't stand when people say, come have a personal relationship. It is personal, but it better be public too. Now you may say, well, wait a minute, doesn't that contradict what Jesus said? He said, don't, don't go out and pray in public like the hypocrites do. Don't, don't go out and fast and fix your face like the hypocrites do, for they have their reward. But I want you to understand that in context too. He didn't say that if you're in public, you can't pray. But he was saying, if you're praying in public, so that people will see you praying in public, so that people will think you are more spiritual than you are, You are receiving the reward you desire, which is in the eyes of men. He didn't say that you can't tell anybody you're fasting. But what he was saying is, don't fix your face in such a way that people say, what's wrong? And then you say, I'm so spiritual, I'm fasting, I'm struggling. Because you are receiving your reward. But when you do it with a genuine heart, if you pray in public, If you speak the gospel in public, if your heart is right, it will draw people to Christ. And because of the faith that you had that precipitated, the works that they see will cause them not to glorify you, not to think that you are spiritual, but to look at Jesus Christ himself And realize, wait a minute, 
The only chance I have at righteousness is through a bleeding Savior on the cross. That's my only hope. That's it. That's why the song says, Alas, indeed, my Savior bleeding, did my sovereign die? Would he devote that sacred head for such a worm as I? Was it for crimes that I had done? He hung upon a tree. What amazing pity, grace unknown, and love beyond degree. At the cross, at the cross, is where I first saw the light. And the birds of my heart rolled away. It was there by faith. I received my sight. And now I'm happy. All the day. That is the testimony of a Christian. What you see is not because I'm good. It's because he is so good to us. That he would crucify his own son on my behalf. And until you look up at the cross and realize that I'm the one that's supposed to be on that tree. You will never have the testimony that he died for such a worm, such a sinner as I. When I look up at the cross... I don't just see how righteous he is, but I see how utterly filthy and unrighteous I am apart from him. And if I want any chance of being justified in the eyes of a holy and sovereign and perfect God, I must surrender my life. I must hand over my life. I must admit that I am as filthy as I am. I must believe and I must confess that I am a sinner and that my only hope in being approved by God is I take the life that I have and I give it to Jesus Christ. I say, Lord, I'm no longer in charge of my life. You are. So, you may say, Why do we need justification? Why do we need justification? Because it's your only hope for salvation. It is your only hope of being saved. Is that when God looks at us, he sees the righteousness of his son imputed on us. And that he no longer sees our utter unrighteousness. But he sees us as innocent, though we are guilty. Let's pray.